0: Welcome to Filmstrip, movie reviews presented by Continuous Play Podcast. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the
1: Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title Seventeen. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Kurt. And this is our review of The Usual Suspects, starring Gabriel Byrne, Stephen Baldwin, Benicio Del Toro, Kevin Pollock, Chaz Terry, Pete Postlewaite, Giancarlo Esposito, and Kevin Spacey. Released in 1995 on a budget of $6 million, grossed $34.4 million at the box office, won two Academy Awards, and has a strong following even to this day some 21 years later. Right, Kurt?
0: Absolutely. There's always that. This is one of those movies, like we said, with Seven. There's always that. Every year there's a new group of who knows however many million people that have not ever heard of this movie and watched it for the first time.
1: Right. I mean, it's just another one of those classics of the 90s. And I remember... When this came out, hearing a lot of buzz about it, I was actually in college. I was a freshman in college, and I missed it at the theater. I don't even know if it was in our theater very long, but I missed it. And then I heard about it on the Academy Awards, and everybody was talking about, it. oh, is was this a great twist, you know. And But nobody spoiled it for me, thankfully. And a friend of mine in college, uh, Robert Crisp, um, who I'm still friends with out there on Facebook, so shout out to Bob. He, like, raved about this. And before he graduated, he was a senior. He's like, we've got to watch this. So he went and rented it. And we watched the VHS of it in 1996. And I just remember like being completely mind blown at the end of the thing. Cause I was like, no way, you know, and so <laughs> it, I mean, it was, it's been one of those that I've owned on VHS. I've owned it on DVD. I own it on digital. I mean, it's, it's one of those that's yeah. been in my collection for a long time, but to be honest, it's been a while since I've seen this one. Um, my go to crime film when I wanna watch one is usually heat. You know, we talked about that a couple of years ago. Right. And uh the same year as this. Uh all came out, you know, later in the year, but uh same time frame. And uh it's neat that both of those movies are nineteen ninety-five. But uh crime films, you know, always an an interest area of mine. I love good capers.
0: Oh yeah, ninety uh, ninety five was a hell of a year for crime movies because not just usual Suspects and heat, but you also have seven, which is you know, as much oh, yeah. as it's horrifying it is in the crime genre and you have casino uh which i think is a massively underrated uh, uh a good game. but that, good was, point. that was a hell of a year yeah
1: it really was and you know brian singer here i mean this is his first big thing i think mean, he'd done a couple of small films at this point with christopher macquarie i mean a, a frequent collaborator and i remember they were like the it thing for a while of course singer now known for his superhero franchises, I guess, as much as anything and, and stuff. But this was the one that kind of started him and got him launched in Hollywood. And it certainly, you know, launched Macquarie's career in Hollywood. He's done everything up to the latest, uh, mission impossible.
0: Oh yeah. And I was singer. Like, uh, it's weird. Like when I, when I first watched this movie, it was, uh, I was going backward because I was already a huge fan of singer because of what he did with the X-Men movies. Cause I first saw the movie in 2004 so his last two movies would have been X Men 1 and 2. And what he did with those movies is fantastic. And it's very tough to argue against that. Like, if it weren't for what he did with that first X Men movie, we would not have, we would not have the Batman Superman movie that just came out uh, over the weekend. He, he just, he, he created a movie that's like, okay, this is how you do this insane stuff mm-hmm. that happens in a comic book like X Men. This is how you do it in a film. And he kind of changed, you know, he changed the, game forever but then he he uh, tried it again with with superman and uh i am not a fan of that i think that movie's (laughs) kind of i'm a a super as much as i'm a superman fan that movie was just a total waste of 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 potential for what could have happened like eventually that movie could have melted with batman begins or something but that didn't happen that movie's of space and i didn't see valkyrie or jack the giants later but singer totally redeemed himself and proved that he is you know he was he's not just some 90s or 2000s guy he totally redeemed himself when he made uh, uh, X-Men Days of Future Past which yeah. i think was shockingly good for being you know the 7th
1: X Men movie, I <laughs> yeah, I, that one was was good. Uh, yeah, Seventh films and franchises can work sometimes. Like, like Halloween H two O is a great example of when you get <laughs> back to your roots and you get your original people back. In a lot of ways, it it can yeah. work. And that's a uh, you know that's me being a Halloween fanboy. I I will remind listeners who've listened to the show long enough. Brian and I did the Superman retrospective back when Man of Steel came out, <laughs> and we you know we had problems with Superman Returns. Mostly the Lois Lane story was yeah. like we were done with that, but. It was all right. I'm not one of those people that hates that movie just outright. I thought there was something there, but it needed, like, it needed another editor. Like, there needed to be somebody else going, Brian, you really ought to cut this. Like, this doesn't really fit, and this doesn't really work. Like, it doesn't work altogether. It's medium popcornish, but it's okay. That's the thing about Singer. Like, sometimes, like... He rarely misses big like i 've seen him you know like apt pupils, a piece of garbage, but you know he rarely misses big, he just kind of misses sometimes, and, the, and you sort of get frustrated because you see the potential of what it could have been, but then when he hits it out of the park like this and days of future past, and x two may be the best comic book movie made it, it, you know for pound for pound when it 's all said and done, you know uh, yeah. if you take out the Nolan verse stuff uh, i mean that those yeah, the Nolan films are almost their own thing, really. I, I don't even know if I could put them in the same category. But like you put that up against most of you know what Zack Snyder's doing and, and other stuff. I that movie's fantastic. Still, X Two great, and uh, I, I I like Singer and I want him to be good. That's the thing. And even MacQuarie, like I've seen some of his stuff, like Way of the Gun and some of those kind of things, and I like want it to be good. And sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't.
0: Yeah, with the quarry, I've only I've only seen like two things connected to him, and that's Usual Suspects and Mission Impossible Five, which uh, I wouldn't call it a great great film, but I absolutely think it deserves props. That
1: oh, there was a lot of fun. He, yeah, for, it for, was like he, for he the fifth like, movie in a franchise, I mean, it was pretty good.
0: Yeah, for the like the fifth movie in what you know would see every time it comes out, I keep thinking, okay, I guess they're I guess it's a dead franchise trying to squeeze another buck. And every time they make ones like oh, I was actually really good. And he actually, I think, it made a very impressive movie that absolutely stacked up against, uh, you know, uh, Spectre last year.
1: Oh, compl- uh, yeah! I will tell you now, I- I'm a James Bond fanatic, but I was way more entertained in Rogue Nation than Spectre. Spectre was freaking boring <laughs> compared to <laughs> compared to Rogue Nation. Now the both plots are about as thin, but. Cruz sold it you know (laughs) right daniel craig just looked bored so but that's it's another day but you know usual suspects you said you worked backwards to this one so did you know the big twist going into it had you heard that had it spoiled for you
0: oh no like i i yeah when like i got this as a christmas gift from my dad on dvd in 2004 And I don't think I'd even heard of it when I got it. I I think I I might've known of it looked like maybe when I looked up Brian Singer after X-Men and saw he made a movie called Usual Suspects, but I had no clue what it was about or even what genre was. You look at that cover of the five guys in a lineup, you still don't know what kind of movie it is. And, uh, yeah, I I didn't even know there was a twist coming, which is even better for, for, you know, for a big twist like that. And, uh, you know, as good as the whole movie is, it is all, you know, the whole movie is great, but it is all about that final minute. And that's how Chris McQuarrie puts it on the commentary. He said that he wanted the audience to not have a clue really what's going on in the movie until literally the final 60 seconds, not the last five minutes, the last 60 seconds, it all clicks into place. And, and ever since seeing that movie, it's, it's become one of my favorite crime films. And, it, and it, what's great about it is that it doesn't fit into a box. Like other crime films, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's like you know, it's a, its not a heist movie, it's not a mafia movie or a drug movie. It's very much its own thing, and in that way, it makes me think of pulp fiction. I—you know—you can't just say, "Oh yeah, it's a gangster movie." It's—it's it's very much it, uh, its own original thing.
1: It, it totally is. And I think that's why it works so well. Is that it, there's there's not a lot like it. You know, it's a, it's a neo-noir film is is what I like to call it. I mean, it certainly fits in that category and I think that's fair to call it that. And I like it because of that. I think that, it gives it a, a different flavor. You know, like, noir films had gone through, like, the sleazy period of the late 80s and early 90s, like Black <laughs> Widow and Basic Instinct and, you know, <laughs> ja- Jagged Edge and Jade and all that. You know, Jay was a little bit after that, but it was more mid-90s. But yeah, that, that kind of thing. Like, it had done that. The Joe Esterhaus, uh yeah. side of things, I guess you want to say it. And they had come out of that, and, and now this was the rise of independent film, right? You know, so these were small films with studio is trying not to lose a lot and and get big return and this was one of those this is another one of those things that you know they found it and and it it became this massive you know critical hit and it was a you know a huge hit at the box office i mean you know the numbers don't sound that impressive but that doesn't even include like the dvd and and vhs sales and rentals like this was one of the top grossing home video buys in for several years and they totally made their money on this one and um I you know I know they had to pay a lot to get some of the people to be in it that they got in it or whatever but uh, good on them (laughs) because it was worth paying because they they got they got some of the best performances out of some of these performers I think that that ever happened. Uh, which is pretty amazing. I also think it's great, too, that every time we do one of these films, I find out your dad has incredible taste in movies. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, he <laughs> We're going to really have, have him on the show sometime or something, <laughs> man. Like, everything he brings you, I'm like, gosh, this is like, Kirk's dad's awesome. So, I had that same kind of thing with my dad. Like, he introduced me to so many things, you know, and uh, it's funny to think about, but that's a lot of times my story, too. It's like, well, my dad saw this. And I remember showing this to my dad, though, and he was like, Wait a minute, what? (laughs) That was his exact reaction at the end of it. And, uh, but my mother got it. Like, she was like, Do you don't get it? They're like, I've known that for, like, she figured it out early like she was one of those that loved to figure things out so i like a good caper where you don't know the answers i think that's neat and i I will say this too if if you've not if you own the disc or anything people if you can get a hold of it it's one of the better like director writer commentaries i've ever had on a a disc Mm -hmm. like it's it's really good the stuff that they tell you they don't sound bored at all with it it's insightful and it's interesting and it's also kind of raw like they'll they'll tell you like you know, we were pissed at him this day, and then realized later, nope, that was actually the right thing to do. And so, I—I I don't know. I thought that was kind of neat that they will tell so much inside on each other on this thing.
0: Oh yeah, it's great talking about it and talking about you know how they came up with this idea, how you know, like even like the, one of the more definitive, more iconic names in cinema history, Kaiser Soze, was not the original name of the character. Like that the, the, he talks about that talks about how trying to, about how tough it is to string an audience along like this until that last, you know, 60 seconds. And, uh, and it's a great commentary.
1: That's really fun, and I, you know, I think the the way we're going to get into this, I do think a lot of people listening to this will have seen this movie, they know this movie, so we need to do a plot summary. But I want to do this one a little different. I don't, you know, I don't know about reviewing this one and like talking through it like we normally do. I think it's better to talk about all of our characters in depth, and I kind of want to introduce you to like doing this the way that Brian and I used to do the Art of Slaying podcast, where we <laughs> we didn't just talk through the episode so much as we talked about what everybody did in it, and then we can figure it out from there. Because I do have questions about it. I mean, I this is a good. Movie, I'll go ahead and you know tease that right now, but it's not perfect. Like there's uh, there's always parts of this I watch and I'm like, no, wait a minute, what? You know, and so I'm I'm yeah. curious to hear what you have to say about that. But why don't you uh give us a plot summary real quick and just kind of lay the land uh, out there on the usual suspects?
0: Oh yeah, and for God's sake, like if you if for whatever reason you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, stop stop listening right now. So
1: yeah, spoiler alert. Go, go we're going to recommend it.
0: Mm-hmm. So. <clears throat> A massive explosion rips through a ship in uh, San Pedro, California harbor, leaving 27 men dead with two survivors, one a crippled small-time crook and the other a horribly burned man. And $91 million worth of cocaine believed to be on board is mysteriously missing. Customs agent Dave Cuyon talks with the crippled, verbal Kent to get to the bottom of what happened at the harbor. Kent weaves a tale of about five small-time hoods from New York were brought together as suspects in a carjacking, and form an alliance to rip off some jewels. The five are later approached by a, a man claiming to be a representative of a mysterious crime boss, Kaiser Soze. Unknowingly all, five, uh, unknowingly, all five have stolen from Soze, and he demands repayment. One of them refuses and is later killed, so the remaining four go out west to pull a bigger heist involving $91 million worth of drugs. However, all this proves to be a ruse as the men are all killed by Soze, along with a witness hiding on that boat. And in the final twist, we re- we learn that Verbal Kent is not crippled at all. He's simply faking that uh, persona because he is Kaiju Soze. And he slips away from Agent Kuyan just before he could be captured, leaving us all to wonder how much of what we just watched even happened.
1: Yeah, that's the big question I have is, and we'll get to it here, is how much of this is even taking place or how much of it is just... Kaiser soze screwing around with the customs agent before he has to leave. <laughs> but uh we we'll get there. We'll get there's a lot to get into here. I guess the logical place to start is with the suspects, right? Like these mm-hmm. these five characters. And you know, we talked about ensemble casts before and we mentioned nineteen ninety five seemed to be the year of the ensemble movie. I mean, they're just so many good ones to think about. Heat and uh gosh uh you know, seven you can in some way could could call an ensemble i, I you know this is really just a pit and, and morgan freeman though but i mean you've got stuff like uh, tombstone came out like the year before right around there that's a great ensemble pick There's a, casino is a fantastic ensemble movie so all these things and and i think it hinges on the fact that if you don't get these five guys right none of the rest of this is going to work right yeah. like that's that's what we know and I think the one to start with is probably the Dean Keaton character, Gabriel Byrne here. Um, He was the guy they wanted for sure to do this. Like, they were all about, we got to have Gabriel Byrne do this, because they were enamored with him after what Miller's Crossing and some other stuff that he had been doing.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Gabriel Byrne, he's one of those uh, way underrated actors in that same way of uh – of Michael Keaton, uh, in the way that like, I keep thinking, man, why don't people just use him more? And of course, Gable Bernie's, I guess he's gotten more work lately. you have got uh, that show in treatment, which I haven't seen, but, but apparently is really great. And, uh, and yeah, he's really good in this movie as, uh, as a sort of a leading man. Cause I should point out it is an ensemble movie. There isn't necessarily one character that's like, well, that's the main guy. Cause it's kind of a split between you got Keaton, you got Kuyon, and you got, uh, and you got Kent. Didn't think of that till just now. Uh, and yeah, he's he is fantastic and is a good character.
1: No, and I I love him in this because the thing is is he he has to play this character. I love I love the Keaton stories. He used to be a cop, but he was a dirty cop for various reasons. I mean, he, he shot people, murdered suspects. He was also like a thief. He was ripping people off and he had a warehouse and you know all kinds of stuff. See this double life. And he he's known to be the way Dave Koyan describes him is he's just the most sinister, heartless bastard in the world, right? And the thing is, is when you see Byrne, he doesn't play it like over the top for it. He's just so calculating. Like, I almost think like Gabriel Byrne could have been a young, a good young Hannibal Lecter. You know, like Mm. he has that kind of cool confidence. I I mean, I think the scene that may typify it the best for me, there's really two of them. But the the one that I always think about is the one where he is. um, Hold on a second. Well, there. Okay, there's three scenes that really get it for me. One is right after the first bust, when his girlfriend, the the lawyer, gets him out, and he's standing on the steps, and she's trying to like tell him it's okay, or I'm gonna take care of it. We'll screw these people over. You know, I'm a lawyer. Blah blah blah. And he, and then she's even like telling him, you know, I love you or whatever, and he's just like. The Freaking people have ruined me that. Like, he's just so cold, <laughs> right? And then when they're out in California and they're dealing with that fence and he's like, Hey, I need to let you know that guy that you know that I know too. He, yeah, too bad he got shivved. Yeah, I shivved him. Better you hear it from me <laughs> than somebody else, you know. And then in, in the end, when they ultimately decide to do the Kaiser Sose job, when he's on the beach, Barry and Fenster and he's, he's all, uh, it would be, you know, Benicio de Torre's character. And he's all like, I'm not doing this for any of you. I'm doing this for me. And he's just so pissed off, you know? Like, he's <laughs> got this quiet anger to him. And I, he's, he's like, he's always on the verge of just exploding. But we never see him get out of control. That's the thing about him that I really like.
0: Yeah, and yeah, it really is a great character. I think he's almost like he's just, I think he's as much of a mystery as, as Kaiser Sozzi is in a way. Because every five minutes, we keep learning something big like or horrible about his past like like all of, like you know first time we see him he's in some you know he's trying to get a restaurant going and then like 10 minutes later we find out oh, there's a guy who killed three people while he was in prison uh and then you know, he was a corrupt cop and a thief on the side and uh and, but it's it's tough not to sympathize with him because you get the sense that he is kind of done with crime like whatever horrible shit he did in the, in the past he is ready to move on the movie starts you know just wants to make a restaurant have a normal life but it's when he can't have that that he goes he doesn't go crazy but he gets he gets angry and he goes back to
1: uh,
0: well, what he does best
1: well i mean it's it's all in it's like the godfather 3 every time i'm out they pull me right back in and oh, yeah. and, and it's it kind of seems like you know he he doesn't have friends on the force anymore because of this necessarily, and he's also not a friend in the the world of the thieves so much. there's no honor among those. He's kind of a a man on an island, and if it weren't for Edie, you know who knows what he'd be doing and and that's the only thing that's really kind of keeping him remotely straight you know at all and it doesn't take a lot like they you know they talk about oh it took a day of nagging to get him on board it really didn't take a lot to get him to go back to crime like at some point he's just like okay yeah because that's, that's what i'll go do now and i I, don't, I thought that was cool i mean i i like the fact that as much as he wants to get out of this he can't get out of it yeah it's it's kind of an un- it's kind
0: of an unforgiven uh story of the guy who you know, who very much wants a normal life. But, he, you know, and as much as he kind of doesn't want to do it, he it's dangerous. He doesn't want to get he doesn't want to risk everything on another, another level. There's a part of him. He does enjoy it, even if he doesn't show because he wouldn't do it if he doesn't really want to do it and want that money.
1: Right. And at, I mean, Dave Kuyan is convinced he's Kaiser Soze up until the last 60 seconds of the movie. Right, like he, or if there is a Kaiser Soze, it's Dean Keaton, you know, or he's using that as hmm. the guise of all of this. That's the way he plays it, and I love that bit when, when he's just running off all that stuff, like who could be the, uh, you know, the kind of person that could wrangle the wills of men and all that. I mean, Chaz Palminteri is just great in that role, and I, one thing that's got to be said now too, the one reason that last sixty seconds work, and it's where a lot of these montages work, is because John Ottman is a hell of an editor. I don't I mean composer eh, he's hit or miss, but as an editor that dude gets it, and he knows how to flip between i mean it was like flip book scenes it was amazing the editing job he did on this this film, and in a lot of ways that's I, that's strictly because he he helped tell that story as much as anything and I thought that it was great, but I love how Keaton we're led to believe that Dean Keaton is this you know. Force of nature that just you know c- can't be stopped necessarily. I mean, he builds him up to be like the most ruthless serial killer of all time. <laughs> you know, if yeah. you, you talk about him, it's it's wild.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. the the The, the relationship between Kuyan and, and Keaton that we don't really see uh, that that is that totally is why uh, Kuyan is so won't let go of this idea that that Keaton is uh, is Kaiser Sose.
1: No, he won't let it go. And I'll, I'll ask you this now: you know, again, you know, now you know the twist, so you can't say much <laughs> else about it. But when you didn't know, I bought it. Like I thought, yeah, he's he's got to be Kaiser Sose. you know. Like I really thought that that was the way this was going to go, and that's not at all how it goes. Yeah, that, that's a, that's twofold.
0: There is one is uh, the way Kuyon is telling it. Because we, Kuyan is a, like, he's a great detective and an interrogator and everything. We, we, we kind of just, we do want to believe him because he is uh, like a he's a good guy. And on another, another level, the movie is doing such a great job of convincing me that he's, that he's Kaiser Sose with all, with them, with the montage and the certain flashbacks that they show shows you how easy it is to trick and to make an audience think whatever you want just by showing them. You know some just showing him you know there's a very quick shot of him under a red light and yeah. you think, oh that's evil he must be the evil guy you know
1: well plus he's got that face man he looks like a goblin or something right like it's yeah. just it's in the eyes and the nose he's just I mean he just looks sinister that's the only way I can say it he can just do this stuff and it's again that quiet confidence and and sinister way he has of doing things that make you think, yeah, this guy this guy could be Kaiser Sitz. But of course we know he's okay. not, but that's good. And and that's perfectly balanced out by Stephen Baldwin's McManus, mm. who is like it, it's a perfect name. He's a maniac. I mean he's yeah. totally manic. He's crazy. He's always talking shit. You know, and stuff like that. He's a complete bad, but he's a complete badass. Like, he's like, the uh, if you were to believe the story Verbal Kent is telling, again, I'd say that, you know, realizing, believe what you want. This guy's like the greatest shot in the world. Like, he never misses. He kills two guys with two different guns standing in two spots. He guns down eight people from a roof. I mean, McManus is, he's crazy, but he's awesome.
0: Oh yeah. Like he a he's a total like manic nutbag, but he has, he's absolutely like one of the, the, in a way he's the kind of guy maybe you would want to have a drink with, but on the other level, he is the cold, cold, one of the colder guys in the movies. Like I think of that, sh- there's a, a bit on the boat when uh, you just see him walking past each door and just like mowing down whatever he's looking at, you know, uh, uh, th- uh, uh through the boat. And it is a good time to mention Stephen Baldwin, who, for whatever reason, did not follow this performance up with anything worth noting. He played Barney Rubble in Flintstones too, and I guess he went crazy or something. But <laughs> but well, like, it's a, such a shame because he yeah. is so good in this movie. It's not just like oh he's like he's like oh I guess you know another forgotten Baldwin brother. It was like but no he's like he is genuinely great in this movie. It is a shame that he didn't. Uh, uh, go on because he is he is and he's really he is really funny just like just just in you know in the lineup, the way he uh, explodes on the line just going crazy wagging his tongue like a maniac and being interrogated by the cops and they say you know it's like well where's the truck it's like what truck the truck with a gun's fucko
1: and he just goes fucko it's totally on yeah <laughs> oh no he, he couldn't care less and that's what makes him funny is is he's so good at that I think he is definitely part of the humor here and I like that though that they've given us a character like that that's a total opposite but he's he's also just as large and in charge as um, Dean Keaton you know and he doesn't take shit off of him at all he's just like whatever you know like, he doesn't care if this guy's you know real or whatever if he's got all this this uh um reputation and all this stuff he is his own guy he's you know, he's got his buddy finster there which we'll get to in a minute but he's he's his own dude and again all the all for all the trash he talks right and stuff he is completely delivering on all of it if you if you're to believe the way things go down the way that they do mcmanus was was crazy but he was really good on the job and i i mean you could tell he was he was great
0: Oh yeah, like when he tells Redfoot, you know, you pull any more shit, I'm going to kill you. Certain other characters, you think, yeah, yeah, he's just talking. But we've the thing was we've seen, you know, McManus do up to this point. Like, well, he, like when he says he's going to kill you, he's probably going to kill you.
1: Oh I mean, yeah. Look, he when he they have Kobayashi cornered there at one point, and he's like, I'm going to be the guy that gets you. I just want you to know that, and he's ready to <laughs> blow him away. And it's like, again, I, I look at that, and I'm like, well, did, you know, again, did that even happen? But if even if it didn't, that's freaking badass. I mean, you know, it's like it's also sadistic. I mean, you realize that he's crazy and and stuff, but that he's just so hardcore. I, I dug him and uh they pair him up with uh a finster. good old Benicio del Toro here, who is one of the strangest actors in the world. I mean, he really is. He just kind of does his thing and man, I get a kick out of the fact that um he, he you know, came up with this weird accent and weird way of talking for finster to just kind of make it a i don't know to give it its own little piece because i mean his role is kind of small if you think about it. he's not in the movie very long before he gets offed and i you never really see what he's good at other than just saying weird stuff and everybody going what what did you just say
0: oh yeah yeah benicio del Toro uh uh is uh, he really seriously is one of the best actors alive he's one of those great character actor, t- total chameleon. Uh, and his perform his some of his best performances are some of the best performances like the one he won the Oscar for in Traffic where he played it compared to, you know, like you look at him in Usual Suspects where he was he was very big and outlandish Traffic, he's, he's it's one of the most low-key one of the best examples of Acting by not acting, whatever that phrase is, like by not yeah. doing a lot. And then, and then 21 Grams and Sicario from last year, which he, well, I can't believe I, he wasn't up for an Oscar
1: for. At, have you seen, uh, The Hunted with Tommy Lee Jones and him in it? That's kind uh, of yeah, a, I, that's kind of a B picture, but they both totally deliver in that. And he's fantastic in it. But again, it's a it's a subtle, you know, thing. This is like a big role. Like he's a he's playing big, which is sort of different. Because when I think of Benicio del Toro, I think about the subtle kind of performances that he gives. This one is just off the friggin' rails, man. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, he, uh, and you wonder like how he and McManus like can even function because <laughs> they're both just yeah. insane. It's kind of a
0: Han and Chewy thing where all, apparently the only guy who can understand him is, is McManus, and uh, apparently the character Fencer was meant to be a. Uh, they keep saying Harry Dean Stanton, like there's an older guy, to be paired up with like Mister Blue and you in Reservoir Dogs, I guess. Ben and, and you know Del Toro. He, his idea was to make it so that you can't you can't understand what he's saying and you can't tell where he's from. And on the commentary McQuarrie says that he's going for like a co- like he's he's going for like a combination of like of a Puerto Rican guy, a black guy, a Jewish guy, and a Chinese guy all at the same time. And you can see that. Of, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And what it reminded me of a little bit was of, uh, Edward James Olmos in, uh, Blade Runner, where you can't, you can't understand him. And yet somehow you, it doesn't matter. Like you still, it still gets across, somehow gets across what he is saying. And yeah, it's safe to say that yeah. nobody would play Fenster like Benicio del Toro wouldn't. It's, it's, it's truly a, a, a unique performance in, in the history of film. Like there's no, no, no one else tried, has tried to copy this because how the hell could you?
1: Yeah, there's no, there's no way to, and I would argue, you know, one of the more quotable guys too, even though you can't halfway understand what he's saying most of the time. But it's like you know the hooker with dysentery, you know, he'll flippy, he'll <laughs> flippy for real, you know. I'm like, I, I just love that. Like, I have friends that like will quote that, you know, all the time, and and it's a crack to me because it's hilarious. He gets some of the best lines, and he's, you know, again, he's not in the movie very long, and you don't really know what what his specialty is. That's the thing is, like, everybody else seems to have like a thing that they do, <laughs> like, you know. M- m- McManus is the shooter, and and we'll learn. You know, Hockney, uh, Kevin Pollock is the the weapons guy and the explosives guy, and then Verbal's you know talks too much apparently. And uh, Gabriel Burns on top of everything, you know. But what the heck does uh, you know Fencer do other than just back up McManus? I guess that is his job. He's Chewy. I think it's a good way to call it out.
0: Yeah, he's. Uh- it also makes you, he, he almost might fall into that thing of uh, what is real in verbal Kent's story, whether it even exists or not. Because that, that, that also occurred to me, is, this is the thing with the whole movie is, is uh, the characters of McManus, Fenster, and Hawkeny are really only referred to by Kent through the story. Like we don't find, because of the fire, every body we find is, you know, singed to a Chris. We don't, it, it, it helps Kent say who he can make up anything about who was there so for all we know fenster is such a a, you know a fantastical character maybe even he maybe he doesn't even exist
1: you know that's pretty fantastic i have never thought about that kurt but you're right these other three guys may not even be real for all we know this could have been verbal and keaton the whole time and you know because Keaton is central to the whole plot and Edie Fenner is. And we'll learn, you know, later why, but the, the, with the whole, you know, Guatemalan and all that stuff, they're all connected to that. But you don't need the other three guys. I mean, you do because you have to have a lot of guys maybe to pull this job off. And that's why I kind of think, you know, maybe McManus at least exists and maybe Hot. Well, You're right. Yeah. Fenster isn't even there in the end. And so maybe, maybe he didn't exist. We don't know. But for the purposes of the
0: story, when they say that you know Fenster got killed, that sent them after Kobayashi. It's like it just like Keaton. I mean, verbal. He makes it work. You know, for a story, like he just he created a guy that will be killed to make them want to go after Kobayashi.
1: Right, which again, you gotta wonder, you know, did that even ever happen? You know, we, we can talk about at the end, I guess, what may happen, what didn't. I, I'm gonna keep saying that, but sure. I, I do, I do think that the Finster character is really fun, you know, real or not, he's he's fantastic and and funny, and and for again, a small role does a lot with it. So let's go to Todd Hockney next, though played by Kevin Pollack. I'll say this: it's hard for comedic actors to sometimes play other things than just being comics you know like paul Reiser can do it i always think about like the way he played the the character in aliens nobody ever remembers yeah. that about him and you know <laughs> it, he's probably glad too because that guy was such a douchebag but yeah i mean really like he was so good at that i was like i totally buy this guy's like a sleazy business guy completely i mean yeah. he's, he embodied that totally and I love the fact that they got Kevin Pollock, who's one of you know, the funniest, you know, side comedians you can get in films, to play this, you know, totally didn't give an F about anybody or anything weapons and explosives expert who i mean he he actually rips off the truck that they get lined up for yeah. never sweats a bullet at all doesn't even care when that's revealed later he's like what am i gonna say you know and i it's so fun i i love him he's one of my favorite parts of this entire film
0: yeah kevin pollock
1: he isn't he's is a way underrated uh, uh
0: actor who had a nice you know uh string of movies there he was also he was also in casino and of course he was in uh, a few good men and he's always good any movie i've seen him in he's always good he's uh, he's in like one scene of red state he's, he manages to be good and f- and funny in that and uh and it's also like if you didn't know he was a comedian i don't think you'd ever guess that he was oh this guy's a, uh, a stand-up you just think he's another uh, character actor guy like uh, like a guy like joe pesci or 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 whatever but it is a really great character and performance like you know his first uh first time we see him his reaction to seven guns you know
1: pointing a gun at him is just saying like, hey, you sure you brought enough guys yeah <laughs> just, <laughs> it's it's great but he's also he's also got a a really good podcast and i recommend oh, yeah. like you go listen to it like some of his his acting buddies that he gets on there and stuff like the interview with michael chiklis is one of my favorite yeah. of all time that's a great one to go listen to folks i'm pumping somebody else's cast here for nothing but I mean the guy the guy's great at it though I mean he's he's really fun and brings a lot to the role and I mean it's a small role too we should say Hockney doesn't have a ton to do there's only a few scenes he really gets to do anything in but he's good in all of them like when he's on the screen he's he's always got a quick one-liner or he's got a smirk or something and there's that one stare down between him and Stephen Baldwin you know, yeah. where it looks like they're about to like make out or fight or something. I don't know, but it's it's perfect because you can tell they're both trying not to laugh at each other and just you see who blinks first. And yeah, I I love that. It's it's great. But you know, Hockney's. I mean, he's a little guy. There's not anything to him, but he don't give a damn. I mean, he'll just do whatever.
0: Oh yeah, and he's got a, he's got a great bit on the boat when he's uh where he's just going crazy with that machine gun and he uh he, he's just running off. To the van with the money, in, and just he's yelling something in Hungarian to the other, you know, Hungarian guy, and uh, what he's saying is, "Don't shoot, don't shoot," and uh, he just, as he as he gets up to him, he, you know, blows his head off.
1: Oh, yeah. And then, then of course he gets shot from behind. That's the thing yeah. is he gets taken out, you know, like that. We, we should say everybody dies here. Gabriel Byrne is the one that gets the most protracted death. He, mm-hmm. you know, he gets shot in the back and then Kaiser Sose faces him off and, you know, reveals himself to him and he, you know, gets shot in the head twice and then he's done. But, uh, and then McManus gets like stabbed in the back of the neck or something. It's really like weird, uh, how he goes down and he sort of falls in on the deck in front of, uh, um, Gabriel Byrne at the end, or in front of uh, uh Keaton there at the end, but uh, and Hockney gets you know, shot in the back and then shot in the head. He gets pretty violent yeah. death, you know. But that's that's the way it goes down for the guy. But I love the guy; that he's great. And so I I feel like we can probably talk about you know Kevin Spacey uh all day and talk about this movie. You know, uh, we we just did Seven, and we, that performance is God. That I don't know how. I mean, how you, how do you top that? Well, you turn around and do this? you know it's like a totally different side of things. Kevin Spacey is another one of those guys that I don't think he's underrated at all. I think people realize how good he is, but use the word chameleon earlier for Benicio del Toro. That's Kevin Spacey to me. He can play a a maniac serial killer he can play a crime boss playing a cripple you know the uh, crook and then he can play like a dad in a suburb who's you know tired of his his middle life crisis thing or whatever i mean he's just so and then he can play the freaking president of the united states you know <laughs> so and uh, the guy is just uh, it's never a dull moment with him man
0: oh yeah it's like basically everything around kevin space in this movie is kind of perfect the performance the character characters uh and uh, yeah, this, this character of, of Verbal Kent, uh, when we start the story, we think he's just some you know, shy, lowly con man with cerebral palsy. And uh, in the end, the Verbal we know, he, like, it's, a, it's a question about you know the other characters, but the Verbal Kent that we we're introduced to, he doesn't exist. And uh, the key, uh, I, think, I think the character of, of Verbal Kent was created by Kaiser Soze maybe that morning in San Pedro, California when he was arrested and uh, and I like the movie itself and like the movie itself uh uh Kaiser gives us a character we would never think could possibly be even tied to a guy like Kaiser shows just the cerebral palsy is totally uh puts it over the top playing on everyone's sympathies like oh he has cp he couldn't possibly be evil and, and Kaiser and Kaiser makes verbal pathetic and sympathetic to the point where He's almost the most likable character in the movie, just to further remove himself from suspicion. And the uh, the casting of Kevin Spacey is so key. The singer and McCory they both wanted him for it. And it's clear why in 1995, before Seven anyway. And McCoy talks about this on Kevin Pollock's podcast, how that in any movie, horror movie, crime movie, whatever, where the villain is secretly another character in the movie, like a janitor in the background whatever, he says – his, his problem with this in film was, you know, you look at it, you look at that guy and think, well, there's nothing about him that makes him, you think he's a villain, except for the fact that he was a killer in a slasher movie. He was a bad guy in that episode of Law and Order. He was a corrupt politician in that political thriller. He played a guy who strangled his wife two movies ago. Basically, the actor gave it away because you've seen them play villains before. But Spacey in 95, he was one of those just sort of, oh, that guy character actors. Like he was in Glengarry, Glenn, Glenn, Glenn Ross. He was in The Ref, which is awesome. A lot of yes. TV shows. But but he never played a bad guy. And he doesn't look like a guy. He he looks
1: like a nice guy. I've got he was in a movie in nineteen ninety two that I saw. It was one of those random Reynolds uh, uh, one night for me, it's Kevin Klein, Mary Elizabeth Mestriano, and, uh, it's called Consenting Adults. And just a real quick on it, like these two neighbors really get on with each other, he and Kevin Klein, and they decide to do this. They have this whole discussion about, you ever think about just swapping wives in the middle of the night? Like you could just roll in and like, you know, it would go down and no big deal or whatever. And what you find out is that he's setting Kevin Klein up along with his wife for like this great insurance scam. So he's, I mean, he's hes a total bad guy in that. But the movie, like, nobody friggin' saw it. You know, it made $20 million. It was one of those, it was, again, one of those sleazy thrillers of the 90s that just yes. sort of slid under the table and nobody cares about it. But I dare anyone who likes Kevin Spacey, and, and they haven't seen that, go back and see that movie and watch, and you can see the gem, the, the germs of all the, the bad guys he could play. Because he did it in that, with a really crappy script and a really cheesy movie. He made that thing completely work and it, he's great in it. He's the only good thing in it. Kevin Klein is totally wrong in that movie. But he's good <laughs> in it. It's fun. And I, he's he's so good at being bad. That's the thing. He's just so good at being bad. And uh, it, it makes you really appreciate him. But he's the kind of guy that Pulls pulls this off so well. You just blew my mind a little bit of ago though, because I had not thought about this as many times as I've watched this movie. That verbal Kent, the other four guys never saw that dude. That he could have just been normal, just been walking around like whatever. He played all that other crap up. You know, and had that whole back file loaded because they talk about like you know the mayor's been and all these politicians. There's a chief police calling, so he had all this file loaded on this guy, and he just rolled in that morning and was the CP guy. But he may have never been that guy to the gang, right? Like you could you could make an argument that that's how that went down.
0: Oh yeah, and like again, this brings up like the you know what is real, what is not. It could it could be completely bullshit that. You know, uh, in fact, it makes no sense that a a guy with CP, you'd give that guy a gun in in a way like like you wouldn't you would never accept him into uh into a, into somewhere we're gonna be killing people, uh, and yeah like yeah the, the whole thing of like you know he made it all up that morning it's like 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 a. Like a like a backup personality, which is something from a Batman comic. He, he, he said, if ever, if anything ever goes, like, if I ever am so broken in my mind, I have this backup personality to kick in. That's kind of what, what, what Kaiser, so, I mean, what Verbal Kint is, it's like, if I ever get, a, if I ever get arrested, I'm never going to, but if I ever do, I'm going to play this guy. I'm going to make him, yeah. I'm give him cerebral palsy. So everyone will really, I'm going to make him, I'm going to make him stupid. I'm going to make him shy. And just this, you know, wimpy kind of guy so that, you know, no one will ever suspect anything of me.
1: No, no. And that's and it's the perfect thing. And I think that's one of the best parts about that reveal, the way Ottman cuts all those little pieces together. So you can see that he's like when you watch the movie, knowing the secret of it or whatever, and you watch the first few shots of Spacey, He's just sitting in the office there of the cop. Right. And he's waiting on whoever to come talk to him. And he's looking around, and you just think he's just kind of bored. But what he's doing is he's looking at, like, okay, that board's made in Quartet killing. Okay, use that. There's that of lady. Okay, Redfoot, that's a cool word. I'll use that. And he's just picking out shit that he's going to use, you know? And and when you watch it, you see, like, I mean, this guy is, like, the greatest liar on the planet. Like, he can just make shit up on the spot. He'd, he'd have killed on whose line is it anyway.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, he really is a... Uh you know, a genius, like a, the Kaiju Soze Verbal Kent, whoever is a genius, how, uh, like there's one, like he is one of just like, there's, there's the whole Kaiju Soze thing with the crime in the empire, but this idea of, uh, fooling every, like he's in the cop station. Like if they wanted, like if they ever did catch on oh they just got to put handcuffs on him and the game's over. But he manages to convince him to the point where they literally let him walk out the front door and like, the. Like, that is like the best, you know, heist anyone ever pulled.
1: It's, it's the, it's the fun. Well, I mean, he even says the line, right? You know, the greatest t- trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And then, you know, he's, <laughs> poof, he's gone. And he talks about Kaiser Soze's history is that way. But he, he's pretty much telling them, I know how to disappear and I'm going to totally disappear. And he even says it again, is like, yeah, I'm sure after, you know, Sose gets rid of me, you'll never hear from him again. So he's basically telling them, like, I'm gone. You guys are never going to hear from me again. I've taken out all of my enemies in one day. He's done the Michael Corleone at the end of The Godfather, <laughs> the first one. He's taken out. Settle up all family business today, baby. Yeah. So, I mean, it's on, you know, and, and I love that, though. I love that, that he's that confident in all of it. But you're right. The thing is, is the one gamble he takes, and my wife and I were talking about this, watching, it, It's like, he has no idea that other Hungarian is alive and awake because they tell him he's in a coma, <laughs> But they never tell him he woke up. My wife is actually the one that caught that because I used to go like, man, if, I'd be getting the heck out of there knowing there was somebody else that could possibly ID me. And She's like, no, they never told him he woke up. And I was like... Oh, you're right. That's that police thing. They didn't tell him any of that, so he has no idea. There's somebody in the hospital talking to uh, you know Gus Fring about uh, what he looks like, you know. So, uh, and I, I'm like, you know, if the fax machine was just a little faster, you know, he'd get out of that building. And it's, uh, it's, it's amazing the gamble he takes. But again, I think that's what you're supposed to say is that, like, oh, that's crazy. How could that ever happen? But that's the kind of guy Kaiser Soze is. He's so. Sinister and so on top of everything that he's like, I, I can sit here and screw around with you all day, and it doesn't matter because I'm going to walk away. It's not going to be a problem. Like he's he's got it all figured out, which is crazy, but it makes the character so much more fun. It's it's part of the mythos.
0: Oh yeah, and when you talk about how you know he doesn't doesn't count on the burned man, you notice when 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 Kuyan comes back in and says, "Hey, who's Kaiser Soze?" and you know uh, he's. Kent, you know, slams on his chair, genuinely angry. And I think that is Kaiser Soze. That's him realizing, oh, great, someone survived. And I, I didn't catch this until like last time, but it's not until Kuyan mentions Kaiser Soze. That's by coincidence when Kaiser Soze pops into the story uh, Kent is telling. Yes. And I think yes. Kent's probably, he was probably hoping that to never mention Kaiser Soze and just be, and just, and to walk out of there. Right.
1: No, I think you're right. I think he would never mention it until he absolutely has to. And then he's like, shit, now I gotta get into all this. Well, okay, I'll just spook the hell out of this guy. So he tells this crazy story. You know, Kaiser Sose was just a dope runner and these guys, these Hungarians were gonna take over his business. So they kill one of his kids in front of him and they, they've already, you know, molested his wife and they're gonna kill all the rest of them. And he's like, okay, sure. So he shoots two of them, then shoots his family, then tells the other guy, go tell the other bears what you just saw. You know, and then takes them out like unforgiven style. Like, you know, I, I'm going to kill the guy and all of his friends and burn his damn house down, <laughs> you know, and I'm, and the guy they got to play like Soze in that moment, he looks like he could like, you know, front a metal band from, yeah. you know, Germany or something. He's like in one of those things. I don't know who that is, but it's some guy. I think it's a random guy they had, but I, I love that too. Cause you're looking at it and what you realize, knowing again, knowing the secret of it and how it's going to go is that. He's telling this story about this you know this mythical crime boss to this you know cop basically to try to build him up larger than life. When in reality he's five six and he's, he's nobody you would even think about. You know he's just nothing. But to look at him, you don't you don't get fear. So he builds this image up that he's just this you know unstoppable force of nature or something. It's he's like Michael Myers or something. Oh yeah the.
0: Yeah, the the character of Kaiser Soze is whether like whatever is real or not, just this character of Kaiser Soze is one of cinema's greatest villains. This combo of like a, you know, drug lord, kingpin, there's a little bit of like a I always think he has a tinge of like a super a comic book supervillain. I always think of him of like Ra's al Ghul from Batman. How he's just, you know, yeah. international criminal with a with a string of of uh, assassins and armies and stuff. And but this the story of that origin in the family. I think that's verbal, just like making it up because he thinks, okay, I guess how do uh, he's trying to? I think he's trying to further remove himself from Kaiser Soze. So I'll make him uh, a total psychopath. I love the way that scene is shot. Very, you know, and like the frame rates all down. It's very broken and stuff. It lo- and makes it look really scary, like something out of a horror movie. It makes Soze look like a real, you know, like some like like the Joker, the kind of guy who would kill like kill his own family and and then, and then killing an entire gang and all their friends. But to me, I think that is so evil. That it's that it's phony for the for for the purposes of you know uh, that it's like no no nobody
1: that crazy could run a criminal empire <laughs> that,
0: that successfully. I but, agree. Uh,
1: I th- I think he's trying to tell the spook stories. He's yeah. trying to freak this guy because I mean at this point Kuyan's just so cool and in control. He's like, how can I rattle this guy? And you kind of see on his face. Like, Kugan's like, holy shit, this guy's even worse than I heard about. And when the other cops talk about Kaiser, they're like, yeah, I know a guy that's got a file on him a mile deep. But, like, nobody really knows anything about him. So that's the thing is he's like, I can tell anything. Well, I can't make up the most crazy shit I can possibly think of because maybe you'll back off at that point. (laughs) You know, and even if you don't, now you're like... Holy shit, what have I gotten myself into? Yeah. And that's the idea. Is if these guys knew who and here's the other thing I'll, I'll throw this out there. If we believe the idea that like verbal Kent doesn't exist or whatever, who's to say Kaiser Sose didn't walk up to these guys in New York and go after the lineup and go, uh, by the way, I need to talk to y'all. And the whole scene that happens in California where you know they lay all the shit out that he's got on all of them, that he goes like, I'm Kaiser Soze, and you're going to do this. Or I'm going to call you right now. And they're all like, holy shit. Yeah, we've got to do that. Who's to say they didn't know he was, you know, all the all along that, that whole shit at the end with Keaton is just bullshit that, you know, it, it, they just didn't think he was going to turn on them or something.
0: Oh yeah. Like again, like it, it could, it could be anything. It could be anything you want. And, I like
1: to think that, like, the, like, the
0: name Kaiser Soze, like, like, you know, uh, Kevin Spacey's character, his name is not actually Kaiser Soze, but again, like Verbal Kent, that Kevin, that, that, you know, that Kaiser Soze was created as a persona. Like, he he basically, you know, whispered in every little other person's ear, you ever, hey, you ever hear a Kaiser Soze? And spread this rumor of the guy. Like, no one's Mm -hmm. ever ever seen him but like like you look at Kevin Spacey his name is like the whatever he is he like you know Kevin Spacey's from you know he's from New Jersey his name is not Kaiser uh Soze but but that this guy whoever this guy is has built this criminal empire using the fear of this image of Jose, which is another great villain ploy
1: well and I I will totally say now watching it and then having re-watched the series recently I totally feel like that's what they were going with on Breaking Bad with with uh, Walter White and Heisenberg oh yeah. That, he, yeah that he built this you know Heisenberg was just this evil you know persona or whatever and when in reality he was this nerdy chemistry teacher trying to make some dough on the side that got yeah. him way <laughs> too deep you know right and that's another story for another day but I mean really I, I kind of feel like i'm like they, they pulled that out of the usual suspects because i'm with you i've always felt like who's is there even really a Kaiser? or something? who the hell even knows and this guy may not even be him he's clearly somebody powerful because he wrangled a lot of shit but maybe he's just using that because he knows it'll get people's attention and make them go Ooh, and freak out a little bit you know i mean there's that hungarian saying it was him but I, you know, why does he know? How does he know that other than the Guatemalan guy that's screaming it all over that, that damn boat before they shoot him? You know, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, it's it's pretty wild the way that that goes down. We got to talk about our three cops here and really the big one. We have talked about Dave Kujan a little bit. To me, Chaz Terry is who sells this more than anything. He is so fantastic. And to find out he did this in like a week. Or something like they—they they barely were able to get him. They got him right in there. He is so good. I mean, the man is born to play either a gangster or a cop. You know, <laughs> his, his, his whole life or like a club owner or something like that. He is so good, and like you don't know anything about Dave Kuyon other than he's got friends in the FBI, he's got friends at the LAPD you know, or the San Pedro PD, or which is you know LA. He's got—he he just knows people. But he's a customs agent. Which is so like you don't think of <laughs> customs agents being like these super cops, but they kind of are. Like when I think of customs agents in movies, like I immediately think of Cliffhanger. <laughs> you ever yeah. seen that Stallone thing? But there's like a customs agent in that, and I'm like, I mean, Stallone's a customs agent in that or a Treasury agent, and I'm like, I don't, I don't think of those guys being like you know John McClane or anything. And I love that he wear he, you know, he wears the same clothes the whole time. He doesn't do anything real different. But he's so in charge. Me is the most dialogue in the movie next to Spacey. And he's telling the story as much as anyone else.
0: He is, yeah. It's a great performance by Chaz Palminter. He's one of those actors, like, since this movie, he hasn't – he never got another big juicy role. Like, he was in Analyze This and it, maybe a couple of movies here and there. But, like, he, he's one of those guys – I think he's, like, buddies with De Niro. And uh, it's a shame he never really – did something this, he- this good again, but he is, he's a superb actor. Like, if you haven't seen it, everyone needs to go see Bolts over Broadway because he, oh. he, he has a small, it's a relatively small part of the movie, but he totally steals that entire movie. There's a point in the movie where he exits the film. And I never realized how little I cared about the other characters than when Chaz Palminteri exited the movie. But that's you know, that's a whole other thing. He's a fantastic actor.
1: He's great in the Bronx. Hill. I think he does a lot of Broadway. I think he does a lot of stage stuff. I oh, think yeah. that's his his favorite medium or whatever. But he is so good. He's so fun. And he's perfect in this role. Like I like Dave Couillon. Sometimes the cops in these heist films, like you get to where – Unless it's like heat and they're like part of the story, or whatever, you get to where like you don't, you don't like them necessarily or you don't want to root for them, even though you, you really should, morally. But, you know, you, you don't want to. Like, I have nothing against Kuyan. I mean, he's kind of tough and he's kind of rough on poor old verbal Kent here, but he's going to get to the bottom of it. And the one thing is for sure, like his white whale is Dean Keaton. Like he has wanted yeah. to nail that guy forever, and he just can—he's always just missing. Him. I mean, when he tells all that stuff about what Keaton supposedly did in prison and all that, he's like, of course I can't prove any of this to you, but also I can't prove to you that he was on that boat the other night either. You know, yeah. and all that stuff. And I—I just—I love him. I think the fact that he's in—he's in one set the whole time, and he makes it work—is fantastic. And a lot of it is in how Singer directs it and how it's edited too. But I'll give Macquarie a real push here. The best dialogue in the movie is uh, Kuyans. He it's hmm. the best stuff. To me, I love watching him work and, and work through chunks of exposition and stuff and make it so interesting. Like I could listen to this guy read the phone book and it would be interesting. <laughs> I mean, I think he's just that cool. He is
0: is a great character. He's a great detective and interrogator who, who thinks he has it all figured out because, you know, he is great at his job. He, he At this point, he just kind of assumes he's always right. And he knows Keaton so well. So he kind of just assumes that since he was so devious that he must be the most – It must be behind all, behind all this. And and he also – he thinks that he's all – he has it all over, the, over verbal. That verbal is some simpleton that he doesn't have a clue. that, But he has no idea that, you know, he – He's behind the eight ball from the very start and there's a great moment. One of my favorite, you know, Kaiser-Sose moments in the movie is when uh, at one point he steps behind Verbal and so, you know, uh, uh, Kuyan can't see his face and he's talking about this theory how, you know, I bet Keaton's still out there and he's pulling your strings and how you're an idiot and you look on Verbal's face and he's holding in a, like I didn't read it until the second time I saw it but he's totally holding in a laugh. I'm like, oh man, I got this guy wrapped around my finger. This is so awesome. He's loving that he's got so, he's got Kuyan so
1: far removed from the truth. Oh look, he realizes then. Holy shit, he's buying all of this. <laughs> he's like, well, "I got to keep going because this is going to work," hmm. you know. And and even when he breaks down in the end, when Kuyon's doing that whole bit, like it had to be Dean Keaton. He was Kaiser Soza and all this stuff, you know. And verbal's like, "Yeah, you're right. He was leading us all along." He like breaks into that cry, yeah. and it's almost like he's laughing. Like I can't believe you're believing this shit, you know. So, cause it's like this is such bullshit, but okay. And I I again though it's it's part of the good storytelling and it's i don't think that would work if you didn't have actors that played well off of each other too no. that it's you've got to have the kind of guys that can can pull that together and i i think it's something to be said that those those two were able to make that whole relationship work and just the you know the few minutes were with them in in the film you totally buy that their conversation goes down the way it does. I mean, it's, it's fabulous, uh, how he's able to spin Kuyan away. We, the other two cops are kind of small parts. We already talked about Giancarlo Esposito, the, you know, Gus Fring, uh, <laughs> FBI Special Agent Jack Bear, And I'm like, what a cool name. That's, that's like out of the 50s R right there. Like, Jack mm-hmm. Bear Baer. You know that. And then Dan Hedaya as uh, Jeff Rabin. I, I love Dan Hedaya anyway. He's another good character actor that just pops up. In, he's the dad in Clueless. And then he's the bad guy in Commando. I mean, he's <laughs> just been in all kinds of stuff. And I love both of them. They play small parts, but they're pivotal at different times. Like, they have good scenes and lines where they have to do stuff.
0: Yeah, Jack Bear, he's a he's a he's a nice side character. He, what he is is he's a fresh pair of eyes on the entire thing, on the whole Kaiser Soze thing. And he also is like you almost think like if he was in the room with with uh, with Verbal Kin, he might have figured it out sooner because cause one thing about Bear, he doesn't know Keaton. Yeah,
1: and he's Koo-Yan's not as tainting. aggressive. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. And you know, like Keaton's tainting the whole th- I mean, uh, Kuyon is tainting the whole thing with this the okay, Keaton's the man behind all this. But Jack Bear, you know, he has no idea who Keaton is. So he He's just, and he, and also he already knows about Kaiser Soze, so he, uh, he probably would have been a better guy to throw in the room, but again, Kuyan just thinks he's so smart.
1: Oh, completely, yeah. But I, I love you know uh, Jack Bauer in the hospital with the Hungarian guy. 'Cause he's like he's like, You gotta get somebody over here, I need some security. Would you shut up him on the phone? He's talking to a guy who's burned half to death, you know, and and he's trying to you know, he's on that huge cell phone, which boy talking about nineteen ninety five man, holy cow. So I mean I, I remember those. I never had one that big, but that I mean that just makes your hand heat up just looking at it. You know, <laughs> that thing has massive battery on it and and all that but you know, he spends all of his time mostly in that hospital getting that Hungarian to talk about Kaiser Sose. But he says it, it, you you realize that somewhere along the way verbal kent kaiser Sose, whoever he really is has been able to spin that yarn so well that the freaking fbi knows who it is and when they hear it they're like holy cow this is big and you know and he's like get me dave Koyan and get me you know the the cop in charge and he's talking about I, I need my you know cia guy in here he gets all these you know other people in the room to to talk about it all on that name so i'm like somewhere around the way He's fallen for the the trap too of who is Kaiser Soze. It's like who is John Galt, but criminal. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, and he and he is uh he's actually a really smart uh, cop and detective because. Uh he does something which would never would have occurred to me to do. It's like the second he says, Oh, this guy saw Kaiju Sose. Okay. Give me a translator and a sketch artist in here right away. And instantly, like, you tell me exactly what he looks like in terms of that's a great yeah. thing to do for a mystery for, you know, how, how do, uh, how do I find out who a mystery guy is? Well, let's, let, let you know, we can't get a picture of him, dr- you know, describe his face for us.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he's he's you get uh, the translator in here and get the the sketch artist. They go through all of that, and I love that. That's that's kind of the ticking clock in the movie because at this point, like Verbal's just waiting on him to get out of jail, basically. So what else gives the movie any kind of timeline? Well, that gives us the ticking clock. That's you have to have those, and it's a smart way to do the ticking clock. It's usually a bomb going off, or you know, we got to blow the roof at twelve or whatever. And in this case, it's will this guy die before he can get that description out? And if he gets that description out, what's that mean you know what's that going to look like and and how close is he going to cut it boy he cuts it razor sharp but uh (laughs) and thin but it, it unbeknownst to uh to uh kaiser and verbal i guess you'd say but uh I, they're really cool though. I, I like the way that they work. And again, you know, Dan Hiday again is—he's he, obviously friends with Kuyan. He's sort of a small role here. He's got the messy desk and all that. But his complete mess is totally what helps Verbal's story work, yeah. right? Because it's all that shit in the office that he keeps looking at. and He's like, "I was Orca fat, you know, or she was Orca fat," and all. That, and he's looking at that that uh, busted picture on the wall and stuff. I, mean, I just—it's yeah. great how he spins that yarn out of all that crap.
0: Oh yeah, Verbal's just thinking, you know, thank God this guy is the biggest slob on the planet because now I can you know I, that's how I'm walking out here it takes a look at that you know horrible yeah that that bulletin board is like that is the key to the movie and yeah like you said before one of the best moments in the movie is uh, I've never Kevin Pollak talks about this on the DVD how I've never I I can't recall another movie like this where the first time you see it he looks like he's bored but the second time it's as if they inserted a different shot for the second time I'm seeing the movie cuz now it looks like clearly like a like he, like literally a printer roller it's so precise he is scanning everything on that wall but and and he is it's a decent character very much he's just another cop he doesn't know anything and I don't think he cares like he verbal's telling the story about you know Keaton leaving Yeetie and his reaction just goes, go you know I'm weepy like he he doesn't give us it. he's just some l e p d uh uh sergeant
1: yeah he he doesn't care he's got a hundred cases i mean, you see his couch behind him it's nothing but case files like stacked five deep, he's totally slammed and overworked. he's got no idea right but but he's in there, you know, taping it. And I, I remember, you know, at the end of it, he comes in and he tells Kuyon, "It's like you don't have shit, Dave. You know, like there's no this. You can't believe anything this guy told you. No, but I know Dean Keaton was behind it all. Now, you know, and all that kind of stuff." You really think he was Kaiser Jose, probably not, but it worked for this that you know like he you know I love how Koyan is so convinced that he's got it all figured out, you know right, and mm. he he has no idea like what he does it when he gets that sketch, he realizes everything I just got told is complete and total garbage <laughs> i can't believe any of it now, and that that's the the great reveal between the two of them but uh no it it does make that work, so um d- Let's talk about the Kobayashi character, all right? Pete Postlewaite, you know, rest in peace. Great character actor from from uh, overseas. Been in a lot of Guy Ritchie kind of stuff, and I mean, you know, he's in Inception and uh, several things that people would know him from, you know, seeing him around. But I, this guy, like, he always looks like this little frail, almost skeleton of a man. Like, there's nothing to him, but he has such a Charisma. It's all in that face and that voice, man. And he he is the scariest character in the story next to you know what we don't know about Kaiser Sose.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Paul Thwaite's a great character actor. He's one of those uh he's one of those guys that even if the movie sucks, he's usually good. Like Jurassic Park Two is a you know total piece of shit, but
1: he's fantastic
0: uh in that movie. And he was also great in in uh uh, the movie uh, in the name of the father. He was nominated for an Oscar. For, uh,
1: oh, movie. yeah, that's a fabulous movie. Yes, yeah,
0: where he, where he throws himself in prison just to be close to us. Oh God, he's so good in that movie, and uh, and he was great in this. Uh, this and yeah, the, the, he he can be a scary guy when he wants to be, especially you know look at look, look at him in the in the town and in this. Uh, you wonder how like for one thing you know his name is not Kob- Kobayashi that that, no, uh, that that's just another that's creation the, of of verbals. that's the coffee cup. Yeah, yeah, the the, the and, cheap China. but this the character is a uh, is a great creation of of, of Verbal's because he makes him he makes him scary and so on and and, and literally the way Paul Sulthwaite looks plays into that because you know he has very dark skin uh, and he the way he talks is like a, a, like a slight it's not this is not his actual voice he's putting on a voice like a slight Indian uh, accent which it's, with yeah British. it's
1: it's like German Hungarian British. for all we know he could be Kaiser so You know, I mean, we really don't all we are affirmed with at the end when he picks up Kevin Spacey outside of the police station is that he may not be an attorney, but he clearly is involved in this in some way. And I had a friend tell me once he said, let me just blow your mind for a minute. He said, what if he is Kaiser Soze? You know, because that sketch like it looks like Kevin Spacey, but you turn your head the right way and it could Eh. be him, you know, and I was like, you know what? that would be the most Kaiser Soze thing of ever is to have somebody in there telling his false life story after all the shit that just went down on that boat that it was all set up by him. I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool to think about.
0: Oh yeah. Like, like when the reveal happens and you think maybe all it was all bullshit, but when you see Postlethwaite with, with, with Spacey in that car, it's like, uh, his name's not Kobayashi, but whoever he is, he is in league with, with Kaiser Soze. And, and, and for all we know, like maybe it's, it's a maybe. It's a pair. It's the two of them working together. They, you know, they are Kaiser Soze, and they're just the, the you know, the, the, this two man team that have you know built uh, this entire criminal empire.
1: I mean, yeah, that's that's the thing that they keep impressing is that you know why why would Soze try to lure all these guys to this boat to just to do a hit, you know, or whatever? Because it's under the guise of that they're going to get to rip off you know uh, ninety one million dollars in cash and and the drugs, and it's to take out the Hungarians that you know Kevin Spacey spends that yarn about you know that that. Soze's been at war with, so maybe that's real. They've they've actually been at war and at you know drug war together, and that this is his way to kind of knock them out of the game once and for all, and kill you know a a guy that knows who he is, and take out some other guys that he's going to need to use for some jobs to set it all up. You know, I mean it's it's a it's a lot of stuff, but it's mainly all a big hit to take Hmm. out. He needs he needs the gang to take out the Hungarian mob, and he needs to get on the boat to take out the Guatemalan. And then he can kill those guys at at his will because they all you know owe him in some way or another. It, it, I mean, who's to say though? Again, that they're not working together on it because again, you see some of those long shots of Soze like that could be Kevin Spacey in a hat and stuff, yeah. or it could be Pete Postlewaite. <laughs> you know, I mean, it could oh, yeah. be a lot of things. And but you know, but think about it. If Kaiser Soze is German and Hungarian and all that, that's what Kobayashi sounds like. Is somebody from that part of Europe? And that part of the Middle East, he doesn't sound like a guy from Jersey, you know, which is what yeah. Kevin Spacey sounds like. So maybe Spacey was his hitman or something. I mean, who knows, right? I I don't think that's what Macquarie McQu- would tell you that Kevin Spacey's Kaiser says so- like that's what they think. Yeah. I'm putting a lot on it, but I think you could watch the movie and see that in it and have some fun with it.
0: Yeah, like whoever he is, he is a dangerous guy. Even if it, if this verbal story isn't true, one like my favorite uh, Kobayashi m- moment in the movie is that bit where they. uh they try to, uh, well, they, they, for that, in that, uh, that, uh, the big skyscraper, they capture Kaiser, they capture Kobayashi, uh, and I love how even after they get the drop on him, they got a gun to his head, he still manages to talk his way out and make them even more afraid of him and, and Kaiser that by saying, if you guys don't do this job on the boat, and he starts naming, he starts naming each of their, you know, their relatives, like your uncle Randall, your nephew, and mm-hmm. my favorite, maybe my favorite, almost my favorite moment in the movie, apart from like the reveal is when he says, now I'm going to go talk to Edie. And if I see you guys again, I'm going to, she's going to find herself the victim of the most whatever, a brutal, brutal
1: violation. Yeah,
0: violation. And he, and it's all silent. He just walks over off into the distance and he sits next to her. But, and while she's, she's going through her papers, he looks back at the guys, makes eye contact with Keaton. And then he takes a look at Edie, like he's checking her out and mm-hmm. then looks back at the guys as if to say, just try me. And it's a, such a cold, great villain moment, great bit of music sting on that, and how it's like, we oh, yeah. really don't want to mess with this guy.
1: No, no, it's it's fantastic, and it's it's well played and totally works, too. That's the thing, is is he sells it every bit. I think it's it's all in the performance. And that it's so subtle, like he never gets angry, he never raises his voice, <laughs> he talks in the same tone the whole time, which is even scarier in some ways, that he's that sadistic, right? But And, and that... <laughs> committed i mean even he says like if you guys can go ahead and kill me if you don't i'd much rather you do because what's going to happen to me if you don't you know because he he knows like "Mm." and and i I love how he never gets out of control like these two guys get their heads blown off in a elevator next to him and he's like hmm that was pretty good you know (laughs) he's (laughs) like well we'll we'll add that to the cost of mr finster you know and (laughs) that that's it but i love i love how he gets him to stop he's he goes after the one guy that can make it stop which is keaton Because they've involved Edie Fennerin in this Guatemalan extradition guy because the Guatemalan claims to justice that, hey, I can name and pinpoint Kaiser Soze for you. And even if Kaiser Soze is more than one person or whatever, he can take down that criminal empire. It's clear that that exists and that the feds would totally want to get on that. So that's why this whole thing's happening. It's It's all an elaborate hit, which is crazy there's never any dope involved that's a complete lie and the cops even know that's a lie but it's also uh, it it was all about taking out both of those groups just the one group didn't realize it. they thought they were selling you know him to the hungarians and or to the the yeah to the gang and uh that wasn't the case at all so it's i don't know i I like it I, i like how all that plays through but the kobayashi character is so fun because He's the voice of Kaiser Soze when we're with the guys in the story. You know, we we don't have a voice for him otherwise, and he gives him a a really neat one because again, you you take him seriously. I mean, Finster doesn't, and he winds up dead on a beach, so uh, in a pretty awful you know scene. But uh, you don't even know what happened to him. It's just his whole face is bloody, and his nose is bloody. It's just gross, right? You know, I'm not even sure what went down, but it I wouldn't want it to happen to me.
0: Yeah, the. Uh I thought about this – well, this – like the first time I saw the movie, I thought about this, which is how the first half of the movie, like before Kaiser Soze is even mentioned or, K- or Kobayashi shows up, we're with these five New York guys and, we're, and we – and it has the feeling of like some kind of a – maybe like a reservoir dogs, these five guys pulling heists and it's got yeah. a certain – certain element of – like a, there's a sense of fun to it. But once Kobayashi shows up and we hear the story of Kaiser Soze and we – and, and and we and you know and we see this like when he hands, hands all the guys the files like we've been keeping tabs on all you you got your entire criminal careers and for the rest for the entire second half of the movie with a shadow of kobayashi and Kaiju Soze, soza totally taints the movie so that sense of fun is totally brought down to where now we're scared now like now it's like he could be literally around any corner he could show up at any point in the story he could show up he, like theres he could even show up in the hospital he could show up in the in the he is in in the police station but it totally like takes this. Uh, I've never seen a movie like almost change genres like that. Like first it's this fun kind of heist movie, and then it's like then it totally becomes a film, uh, a total like thriller where 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 we're scared.
1: No, that you're exactly right. It, it, that's when the thriller part clicks in. Is is when Kobayashi shows up and the specter of Kaiser Soze hangs over the rest of these guys. So that's the the part of this movie that it changes the genre, but it also Makes it, it makes it, it's a different kind of fun because now you watch these guys pull their heist and do their stuff and it's like, oh, that's kind of cute, you know, or whatever. And then you realize, holy cow, this is serious. These, not the, these guys, yeah. obviously don't make it out of this, but now we realize why, you know. Yeah. And it's uh, it, the stakes go up big time when he's there, and um, it makes it, it makes it good, you know. Susie Amos as Edie Fenron isn't really that big of a character. She's important because. She is the thing that Dean Keaton is chasing after and trying to keep safe or trying to it's the only thing he seems to care about at all if he cares about anything is her right and (laughs) it's her involvement in this thing But what we find out is she's dead before they even go pull the job. You know, so you always wonder, like, how close he really was with her. You know, like uh, uh, Kaiser Soze, whoever has her whacked in Pennsylvania two days before they ever even you know do the heist on the boat. So no matter what Keaton does, he's going after a a false premise. It's like he's going after somebody that's already dead, and that it makes him even more tragic as as a character because you realize, like, when he what he supposedly says to Verbal when he tells him to stay behind and stuff, which is. Uh, interesting because you wonder if that's really how that went down or, or whatever because there's so much chaos going on there you know, he could have got around and got behind them at any time um but he does it because he says just tell her i tried you know or whatever and i'm like you know that's the most Undine keaton thing he said the whole time this guy doesn't i mean it, it doesn't sound like something he would say you know it it sounds like he wouldn't even mention her because i kind of feel like once he's it, it, once he realizes she's in danger or whatever, that he's like, I gotta cut ties with her. She's gonna get killed, and I'm probably gonna get killed too. So I don't even know that. I, I question whether or not that even really happened on the boat. That he even gave two thoughts about her. Hmm. Well, well, yeah. The char- yeah. This character, like, you
0: know, doesn't have much screen time, but as part of the story, she's really, she's the human side, like the goodness of of, of Keaton. Because uh, there's a, I love that bit where uh, where he's leaving New York. And you can tell he's, you know, he's just sitting there in a chair. He like, cause he needs to go tell her, "I'm hey, I'm leaving New York," and he's also saying, "I'm also, I'm back in the game. I'm back in the crime." And he, you can tell, he just like he, he so desperately doesn't want to dis- uh, disappoint her. Uh, and it, it's it's re- it is really sad when he's just staring at her, like he's up uh, he's up on some balcony looking at her, and he's like, "I can't do it," and he just and he just leaves. And how that doesn't even like him like Kuyan was like he doesn't buy it for a second that Keaton that anyone could be in love with, 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 with Dean Keaton. Uh, and I like to think that's, maybe that's verbal again, tainting the story. Cause that in the story that verbal is telling Keaton comes off as, uh, I don't know about likable, but, a, a somewhat calm, cool headed guy, a guy who maybe could go to the, to the good side. Uh, and I think maybe is the relationship with Finner could be a fabrication just to make, just for verbal to make Keaton look, uh, that much better to you know, I guess to guess maybe to separate it more from Kaiser cells or something
1: it, that's an interesting thought that maybe she's not even a part of their story at all that she's obviously involved in this because she's dead, and you know she she was involved in the extradition so she was one of the hits he needed to make but maybe she wasn't you know really a a a big deal and and involved with that but i don't know i that i I almost feel like she probably was involved but i feel like after keaton leaves new york and he doesn't tell her bye, that that's the last of them that there is i don't i don't believe any of that shit on the boat that he's like tell her i tried and i'm like nah he Hmm. at that point he's too far gone he thinks he's gonna die anyway I mean, Dean Keaton. You realize that when he when he meets up with McManus on the boat, and he's like, "There's no freaking coke on this boat, man," you know. And they're like, "Well, we got to get the hell out of here because we just killed like forty guys, so we got to go." And Keaton's like standing there, like, "What the hell am I going to do now?" You know. And he's he, yeah. so when he walks outside and he you know sees McManus die, and he's like, "What? What the hell is going on?" And then he gets shot in the back. The next thing he knows. You know, and it's not until after that that he realizes, oh, crap, this is all just a setup, you know. If, again, you're to believe that's how that went down. Because we don't know because, again, the bodies are all charred to hell and back because everything blows up. So you don't you don't even know if these people got killed the way that they supposedly got killed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was, I mean, that's the thing. And that's the other thing, too. I'm like, you know, you make that point earlier about is Finster even a real person or, or whatever. They never mention anything about finding a body on the beach. And, you know, I think it's uh, Hockney that even says, hey, man, in like a day, they're going to smell him. They're going to find him. You know, th- never hear another thing about it. You're like, maybe he doesn't even exist. Who, who knows? Maybe it's just part of the tale. But it keeps the cops occupied. And that's the idea. And it can just be another name for the the story, as it were. I, I don't know. I I think that's fantastic to think about.
0: Oh, yeah. And, and you talk about, you know, Keaton, uh, like uh, the, the opening of the movie with him with, uh, you know, him being killed by Kaiser Soze. I like to think, at, like this is after everything we've seen. He seemed he's he's really uh, done in that scene. He's not he's not pissed off that he's shot and he's about to get killed. There's almost a sense of like relief. He he doesn't even have a frown on his face. He's just like you know. It's like what time is it? And still okay, yeah, go for it. Okay, I think he's like he's like he uh, you know he's he's okay dying because like the bullshit is now over.
1: Yeah, I've always found that curious. Why he wants to know what time it is. You know, I'm like, w- what the hell does that matter, <laughs> you know, at this yeah. point? Maybe, th- I mean, I don't know. Is there some detail I missed along the way there? But I- I'm always wondered like, why would you ask him that? You know, like, what what what's the significance of that? Is that supposed to be, like, they're supposed to be done by midnight or they turn into a pumpkin or, you know, what the... <laughs> I don't understand what the deal was there. I I've often wonder, like, why does he want to know what time it is? <laughs> so, I don't-, I don't know. I just found that to be odd.
0: Yeah, I don't know. That's just like a nice it's a nice, it's like some kind of, they're just trying to make him, you know, like, he wants he he wants to know what time it was when he died. We didn't. It's, it it is a weird weird bit of moment.
1: I don't, was is that going to matter <laughs> somewhere yeah. along the way? I guess I guess so. I don't know, but it's it's funny that, that he asked that because I'm like that. That's the strangest thing you could possibly ask. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know why why he wants to know. But th- this also too, like if you're paying attention, there's clues there because you see the watch, you see the lighter, and then oh, yeah. when you see Spacey pick those things up, or if you're listening when he's getting released from the police station, he picks all that shit up and you're like wait a minute isn't that what uh kaiser soze had on him when he shot keaton if you're paying attention you know there there's that little uh moment you know 12 seconds before they reveal it to you by the way (laughs) so it's not like they give you anything big or you could have caught that earlier but uh, it's i don't know i thought it was good i i do remember asking my mom who says she figured this out before it ended how did you know that you know possibly right and she was like that guy was lying the whole time. You could just tell he was just making it up. it? None of it sounded believable. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I guess that's a mom intuition or whatever. And I'm sure there's other <laughs> people that probably have thought like, yeah, there's no way that's for real, but uh, it's uh, it's a great yarn. That's for sure. And, uh, I I love the 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 scene on the boat though. I think the big shootout, the big scene, is the boat scene, and the way all that goes down. Whether any of it happened that way or not, we we have to trust that verbals or you know Kaiser Verbal, whoever is not completely yarning that up. But I love the way that goes down. You get some great Stephen Baldwin in that moment too, when he's up there and he's counting off the guys. He's like Oh yeah. McDonald had a farm, and he shot some guys and all. I mean that's <laughs> hilarious, man, and it's uh, it's just good stuff and uh you already talked about kevin pollack running up screaming in hungarian at the guy and you know he shoots him anyway and all that (laughs) stuff it's just it's well done that that whole action scene on the boat for a a movie with 14 million dollar budget that was pretty impressive
0: yeah it is a really really great uh action scene and you really do it does amp up the the tension when you realize it is three guys going up against an entire boat Full of people, so it did. It did feel absolutely dangerous and, and bloody. Like I said, that bit where is uh, just opening fire into whatever doorway he's passing. Yeah, and and one of the coolest things about that is how, uh, within the story, that Kaiser Soze uh, like almost like he materializes on the boat. How the wh- the uh, whatever the informant's name is. How. You know the the guard knocks. Up. You think the guard. You think like you see the guard. All of a sudden is dead with like a bullet hole in his head. and He falls down dead, and we just see a shadow cast over the informant. And uh, he doesn't say Kaiser Soze, but he's clearly talking to him. He's like, "I told him nothing. I swear." And and you just cut to the outside of the boat and hear two shots. And uh, and yeah, like 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 that. Again, the, the presence of of Kaiser Soze, like because at this point in the movie we don't know who he is, so we are just. We are scared of him. Like, oh, yeah, we didn't mention that bit when Hockney dies, how when he turns around, all of a sudden it goes white. Like, I always think, like, you could either that's, you know, that's Hockney seeing the light before he dies, or that's like the, that's the spirit of Kaiser Soze is so uh, bright and menacing that's the super hot white light. Whatever it is, they really they make him a spiritual
1: thing. There, Kaiser. Yeah, it's it's the inside of the Marcellus Wallace's briefcase. I mean, it's that there, yeah. kind of thing. Is what I felt like. I was like, that's that's what Kaiser Soze carries around, you know. So and with him, but yeah, I, I've always interpreted that as the the reveal of like that's if we're to believe again, believe the story and take it for for face value for what it is, then that's him going, holy cow, that's you. And then, you know, it's over. And it's the same thing. McManus does that, too. You know, when he's doing the whole, the strangest thing happened. And he's like, <laughs> Verbal, stab me in the neck. <laughs> you know? And he's like, do not know how to say it. Like, he's just so dumbfounded by it. And I love that, though, that that's his his ending. And, you know, Keaton's the one that doesn't get that ending. Because, of course, he gets to see him face to face. And he's like, it's your time, isn't it, Kaiser? You know, if if, again, you're to believe what you're seeing there. So, which is... You know, to be to be decided, but I I like the ending though. It's it's a blast and it's a lot of fun, and you can really enjoy the the whole setup to it, and it's just a ride. So uh, to get to that point, and then he walks out of the police station right before they get the facts, the, the facts of doom, as I called it, and uh, pretty amazing, you know. And I I love. Uh, it's, uh, some of the coolest stuff, spacey has been sitting in a chair the whole time. We should mention that, you know, for most of this movie, he's either sitting clumped over on the side, doing nothing or sitting in a chair. He shoots one guy, you know, but he doesn't really do a lot because he's supposed to be, you know, crippled, right? Or he's playing that he would call himself. And to see him when he's kind of limping down the street and then all of a sudden he just starts walking normal and he stands up straight and he lights that cigarette. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty slick.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, we're talking about the finale, like whatever it is, the last three or four minutes of the movie is some of the best three or four minutes in in film history, as good as the rest of the movie is, like 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 as great as the movie is. The last four minutes is like you know four thousand out out of ten. Now, how when when Kuyon's building, he starts building the case that Keaton is Kaiser Soze, and the movie makes it look like it is a reveal, like Keaton was Kaiser Soze, and like as an audience, you're you know you're you're being shown proof that he is. And it kind of does, it does make sense up to this point. Uh, and then, you know, and you know, the, the way Kuyan is saying, you know, I don't know if he is, maybe it's just a spooks. Maybe he is just a spooks, right? And he lets him, he lets him walk out. And I think like, uh, Kent, I mean, verbal, like he's kind of, you know, he starts crying and stuff and he starts playing into like, no, he wasn't. And he starts revealing like, yeah, he was, he was, I think he, that is him, uh, He's just leading him on, just trying to like he's that's Ken trying to wrap it up. So okay, yeah, he was he was verbal Keaton. Can I go now? Uh, he was he was Kijiro I mean, and, yeah. And up to the and at at that point, uh, and then you know uh, Kuyon starts talking about it, like one day, like he it's it's like it sounds like the end of a TV show or something, like the end of a season uh, finale. It's like and one day we'll get him, you know, maybe we'll we'll catch him someday. And it almost feels like the movie's about to fade to black. At this point, like, you no know, movie, it does feel like it's over. The, even the way, the casual, like, that little, you know, the cute joke, yeah, you ought to see my garage, yeah? And then, like, it feels like we're about to fade to black. And then, Koyan turns around and looks at that, uh, at the bulletin board. Mm-hmm. And... And it, and the drop of the silent drop of the coffee cup, you know, it, it, it shattering oh. on the ground. That is a great shot.
1: Uh, the and cool thing is, is, you don't know for a minute why the hell he dropped his coffee cup. What is he staring yeah. at? And then it slowly starts to reveal, and that dialogue all comes back in, and you're like, again, John Ottman, fabulous editing job on that. And I'm like, man you realize, and I remember the feeling of like, I've been totally snookered this whole time. (laughs) No way. (laughs) And then I was like, wow, that's pretty fantastic. I mean, it's, it's one of the best twist reveals ever. I mean, M not Shyamalan, eat your heart out, baby. I mean, (laughs) not even close to anything that unforeseen, uh, that I'd ever been a part of before.
0: Yeah. And like, uh, to me like uh yeah and like when, when we keep you know we keep shouting, and the, yeah the great editing and sound editing cutting all the footage like his name was Redfoot blah 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 guy you know f- uh, some bricks marlin s- some guy holding a, a picture of a, mar- a picture of him holding a marlin but the real big one was like when you see that uh Kobayashi wasn't even real he just happened to be whatever the manufacturer was that you know p- uh, produced that particular coffee cup and it just really tells you then it really felt like oh man so I didn't think he was Kajosoze, but it was like he told he that was all a lie. Well, why would he lie? What does this mean? Like, what, wh- why would he make all that up? What does this mean? And had uh, yeah, when we cut to him um, walking down the street, and uh, the the limping that is one like that might be like a top ten shot for me. Like the limping feet starts straightening out, and you find out even the cerebral palsy was a lie. And his hand, you know, I like to think like the way he straightens his hand and reaches for the cigarette and light it, it almost felt like his posture was different. As though like all of a sudden he had like, he was like 10 times stronger. Or or like he was suddenly a cool like a cooler guy all of a sudden. He's like, he's totally not. uh, This guy verbal can't, you know, car pulls up and and we see Kobayashi or whatever his name is uh, driving it. The great bit where Spacey is holding the cigarette with his good hand Like he does in the story, almost like he's joking with Kobayashi to say, hey, it's palsy, right? And they (laughs) just have this, they have this, like, Kobayashi has this quick look, like, yeah, I get it. Man, they're stupid, aren't they?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, uh, it's it's just like yeah, and then you get that great line again, like and poof, he was gone, and then da da da, that great music again. It's, it's some of Ottman's best music. I do think he's kind of a hit or miss as a as a composer, but that that is perfect. The music in that is just great, and it's uh, I mean, it leaves you going, wait a minute, you have to now question everything you just watched. You know, is, is that real? Is it not? What do I do? And it, I, I love that, though. I like that this movie leaves you with that lingering of wondering, well, what's the story? You know, and we'll never know because there'll never be another one. And uh, it's <laughs> one of those that it's kind of like, uh, you know, that Michael Mann's talking about now to do like a prequel to Heat. And I'm like, why? I don't need it. I know <laughs> all that already. And I'm like, no, don't don't. Please don't. <laughs> you know, but he probably will. But I I would be. I would be very upset if Brian Singer and Christopher McQuarrie decided, you know, we needed to do like a prequel to Usual Suspects or we need to do a sequel. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, it needs to be a one-shot deal, man. Like that was, you know, 149 or you know, an hour and 49 minutes is perfect. Don't do not do anything else. You know, just let it go. And um, very cool. And then our little noir picture is done. So I think we're, we're both going to extra large popcorn this thing, but let's give a final touch on it here for uh, Usual Suspects, Kurt.
0: Oh, sure. And I just got to mention like the app, the, the literal last shot is, is it to me is so like painful in a way how, like we see the car pulling away that they just got into and Kuyon is standing right there. Like the car just stopped, the car's literally stopped at a red light and Kuyon's like, he's in such a panic. He's so worked up. It's like, oh my God, I just, I just let Kaiser Sose walk out. And he's literally like if he just turned around and maybe looked that way, he might even see him, It just it, you feel so bad for it? And it is such a great moment, because like Kuyan now does believe in, in Kaiju Soze when, like, And when Kuyan's a believer, now you really know that it's, that, that Ka Soze is a, a, a real demon, and then cut to black. and just like that, he's gone, and that great sting of the Ottoman music. And I feel like my brain is fried. I feel like an idiot. I feel like I just saw the greatest magic trick I've ever seen put on film the entire time. You know, the guy was CP. He was Kaija Soze. You know, they're like verbal vis- verbal kent was Kaiju Soze. Hey, there probably never even was a verbal kent. And that's what makes him one of the best, you know, villains of all time. Is that he just, he managed to fool everybody. And that kind of cinematic wizardry of being fooled that well and then not feeling like, yeah, right. It doesn't feel like a rib off. It feels real. That That cinematic wizardry is why this movie won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. So, so how to sum up this – how I feel in this movie. Well, I think until that revealed the first you know, hour and 40 minutes, it's really great. But the first time I watched it, like, I, I didn't love it because I was pretty confused because I thought it was a really good crime thriller. But I was like, well, what the hell? So what happened? So what, Keaton was Kaiser Soze? That's kind of a letdown. Like that's you – know, like, oh, also the guy you, know, who you kind of thought was the bad guy. I guess he was the bad guy. Yeah, it was kind of – but then after that ending and feeling like I've been the victim of the biggest con ever – I suddenly love this movie for tricking me, because you know before seeing this movie, only Six Sense had fooled me that much, and that 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 sensation of a twist ending that really works. Uh, I mean, that's why I watch movies, hoping for that kind of sensation of like something happening that surprises me. And this movie, the cast is excellent across the board. The screenplay is as good as 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 good gets. That 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 John Ottman's score is so I think beautiful. It's one of the best scores in a crime film like that the very opening of the movie over the, the credits over the of the black water just the building up of that theme i can't find a cd of it but it's such a great piece of music but it's this story the twists and turns in the story leading us to that reveal you know it makes this movie a film noir work of art i think this movie is going to live a very long life it already has i mean it's uh it's 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 tough to think that movie – it feels so like fresh and, and like hip and, and like you know uh, it hasn't aged a day and yet it was like 21 years ago now. And I think it is going to live a long life like we said with Seven, and a great movie. There's always a generation that hasn't seen it yet and they will see it and they will recommend it to everyone they know and the cycle will go on like that. Mm-hmm. The Usual Suspects really is one of the best films ever made, it has to be said. And of course, it gets an extra large popcorn for me.
1: I can't sum it up any better than that. I, I echo every bit of that with you. And I, except for the first time I saw it, I was like blown away and like, I must see this again, you know? And, oh, yeah. and I think I did watch it again with Rob. And I, it, it's one of those, and I'll ask you this though the thing about Twist movies is once you know it, you can't unknow that, right? So is it worth it to go back to it? And for this one, I say absolutely. Like it because you sit there and watch it and see if you can try to figure it out. There's that run through it, and then sometimes you can just watch it and just say, "Let me just see if I can figure out how much of this is real and how much of it's not, or what I think is real or what I think is not." Like you, I played that game kind of this time, and we've done that a lot on the show, and, and I think that's a fun way to watch it. Or sometimes you can just watch it and just be reengrossed into it. I mean, go like I did, and it had been a couple of years since I'd seen it before you know, watching it for this podcast. And I was like, you know, I'd forgotten about that scene. Oh, I forgot about that. And there's all kinds of just neat little subtle details. It's the best movies that every time you watch them, you get something new out of them. You're not necessarily getting new information. You're just discovering more because like a good book, it just reveals itself more and more to you. And with you put it best. It's a work of art. It, it really is. I think it's the best thing singers ever done. And, and it's hard to follow that. Ever and, and, you know, X2 is a great film. And he's done some really good stuff since, but I think it's the best thing Macquarie's ever done too. Cause how the heck can you ever top that? I mean, you, I don't know how you would, you know, I'd spend the rest of my time playing the greatest hit that that was, you know, too, because, and, and you see that now and it's, it's loaded with just such good character actors and so much fun uh it's it's a good one and again if you're you know if you're new to this like if you haven't seen it before maybe watched it before this or watched it and we've told you to cool introduce it to somebody that hasn't seen it before and then watch the look on their face that's half the fun to me sometimes is to get people to watch it that hadn't seen it and they're like no way you know they do the same thing i did or like no I, i totally thought it was this guy and stuff so yeah extra large popcorn one of the the best movies of the 90s for sure and and a great crime film too just a, a fun thriller uh, to watch and something you can really enjoy so I, I give it uh, a big big hearty uh, extra large popcorn as uh, well until next time next I'm, Robert, time.
0: I'm Jay. For time. thank you for listening to Filmstrip you can find more episodes on our website continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The film strip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121.